Seven years ago, I asked this question. Can a perfect God speak imperfect words? I wanted to know if the Bible has flaws. Is there any evidence that this book was really inspired by God? In Psalm 18 verse 30, King David made a claim that the Lord's word is flawless. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul said that all scripture is God-breathed. Now, we can choose to believe that, but some evidence of this would sure be nice, as it would increase our faith and confidence. So, in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to show you some of this evidence. And like with any evidence, one must have the proper tools to inspect it. So, before I show you this evidence, I'm going to give you a tool from the scholar's toolbox. And this tool is the ancient Hebrew alphabet. Why Hebrew? Most of you already know because Hebrew is the main language that God chose for the writing of the Old Testament. So please pay your attention to the screen. This is the ancient Hebrew alphabet. Look at it very well. I'm going to show you some really awesome stuff. And by the end of this sermon, you will be an expert in the ancient Hebrew. <laughs> or at the least, you'll be able to impress some of your Hebrew friends, or maybe even Charlie. Uh, I doubt that, but uh, it's worth a try. <laughs> so, let's begin. Hebrew is read from right to left. Keep this in mind for all the examples that will be in this sermon. Right to left. So, these would be the first letters. Now, unlike the Roman alphabet, each Hebrew character has four layers. Let me explain. The first layer is the phonetic sound. Just like in English, each Hebrew letter produces a phonetic sound. For example, A, B, G, E, O, U, and so forth. That one is pretty simple. Now, the second layer is the name of the letter, which also gives it a meaning. That's right, each letter is an actual word that has a meaning. For example, the name of the first letter is Aleph. It comes from the root word El, and it means strength. Now, El is the Hebrew word for God. And if, does that remind you, the El Elohim? Yeah. Elohim is a plural version of El, because there's three God, right? The, uh, the Trinity. El Elohim. So if we were to literally translate Elohim to English, it would be strengths. Right, very interesting. So the second letter is Bet, and it means a house. The name of the next letter is Gum, and that means to walk, and so forth. It continues. Now, the third layer is the numerical value. The numbers as we know them today were not invented until 500 AD. So back then, the Hebrews used letters instead of numbers. For example, Aleph would signify number one. Bet would have a value of 2, Gan would have a value of 3, and so forth. So they would count. It goes all the way until 10, and then 20, 30, 40, to 100, and 100, 200, 300, 400. So this way you can cover any number you want with Hebrew letters. Now, this leaves us with the last and the most interesting layer of the ancient Hebrew alphabet. And it is the pictograph. Each letter is an actual drawing of an object. For example, the first letter, Aleph, is an ox head. 
Do you see you got the horns and you have the head? The second letter, bet, is a drawing of a tent floor plan. Yeah, it's like a floor plan of a tent. Now, can you guess what the third letter looks like? A cane. What else do we have? A what? Boomerang. That's uh, that's uh, depends for whom, but it's actually a foot. So maybe some people have like a boomerang-looking feet. That maybe back at that time, I don't know. But here's a challenge for you. Here's the entire alphabet. Go through the rest of these in your spare time. You can pause right here, take a screenshot, and figure out what each one means. It's a, it's a fun thing to do. And when you're done guessing, go to Google and search ancient Hebrew alphabet, and you'll find the correct answers. Yeah. Now, I've hidden the last letter on purpose because that's coming very soon. As somebody knows. <laughs> few people. All of you. <laughs> All right. So these are the four layers of the Hebrew alphabet. And in them are hidden great mysteries and marvelous treasures. And now that we know these layers, now that we learned this tool in the scholar's toolbox, we can take a look at some of those mysteries. The first mystery we'll look at is in Ezekiel 9, verses 4 to 6. This chapter deals with a judgment day. In this verses, Ezekiel sees a vision where the Lord instructs his angels to execute judgment upon the disobedient people. But these verses conceal one of the coolest mysteries of the Old Testament. Let's read it together. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others he said in my hearing, Go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women. But do not come near on anyone on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. A very scary passage. Unless you have the mark. What is this mark? And why does it protect these people from death? Let's check this verse out in its Hebrew form. This very verse had been sung and read in synagogues for thousands of years. Yet it hides this magnificent mystery. You see, in Hebrew, the word for the mark in this verse is ha-tav, v-tav. The hey in front of it is the, and then the actual word is tav. So this tav, this mark, whatever it looks like, if it appears in the foreheads of those people mentioned in this verse, it would protect them from God's wrath. So the question is, what is this mark? What is this stuff? What does it look like? What is interesting is that it is not the regular word used for mark. You see, Hebrew has much better words to describe a mark on the forehead, like siman or ot. Both of those could, be, could have been used, and they are used in the Old Testament much more frequently. So why did Ezekiel use this particular rare word? And do you know how rare it is? It appears only three times in the entire Old Testament. Yeah, two appearances are in these very verses we just read. And the other one is in Job, when he yearns for salvation from God's punishment. Take a look. Oh, that I had one to hear me, 
Here is my mark. Or that the Almighty would answer me that my prosecutor had written a book. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, the only three times this word was used, it is used in the context of protection from God's wrath. Fascinating. So what is the meaning of this word? Tav. To understand that, we'll reach out to our toolbox and pull the ancient Hebrew alphabet. As you remember, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. Yeah, the ox head, which means strength. It represents the El Elyon, the God in the highest. But now let's go to the end of the Hebrew alphabet. If the first letter represents God, what could the last one be? I'm not ready to reveal it to you just yet, but I will tell you about its layers. Its number is 400. And its phonetic sound is t, like a turtle. <coughs> And it happens to be the name of this letter is Tav. How interesting. This is the same word that Ezekiel used to describe the mark on the foreheads. Could he have seen this word on the foreheads of the people, this letter? And he wrote down its name. He's seen the letter and he writes down its name. So the question is, what does this letter look like? Well, here it comes. Oh. Does that look like something you know? Oh. The last letter of the Hebrew alphabet is a cross. Isn't that incredible? Oh, yes. Yeah, do you remember the first letter? It was Aleph, ox head, strength, God. Well, the last letter is a cross. And what does it remind you? The first letter is God. The last letter is cross. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end, said the Lord. He is Elohim, the plural, the ox head, the strength, the beginning, and he is the end, the Jesus Christ who died on the cross on Calvary. Wow. So is it possible that Ezekiel had seen the cross on the foreheads of the people who were spared from destruction? And the reason why the translators overlooked this is and translated it as a mark instead of a cross is because the shape of the Hebrew letter, the last one, changed over the years. The Hebrew language of today, it changed to Aramaic letters. And I'll show that to you very soon. But now that we know what this letter Tav looks like, let's read Job again. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. This mark is a cross. Job hoped to have an intercessor between him and God, and that intercessor is Jesus Christ who died on the cross. So is it a coincidence that both Ezekiel and Job, when speaking about salvation, used the cross? Instead of the regular words of Simon and Ot, they used Tav, the mark of the cross. Now, no man on earth can come up with this these coincidences you know one sure two maybe three okay but when there are hundreds of them it is just no longer a coincidence seven years ago i um i was set to find all the flaws in the bible i even went to this um atheist website i don't know what what it is anymore but it had all the contradictions in the bible well first i discovered there are no contradictions 
Sure, there are mistakes in translations here and there, but we've got enough tools to find all of those and find the real, original uh, meaning. Instead of finding the flaws, what I found were hundreds of these coincidences which are just supernatural to human mind. And take this in addition to all the harmonious unity in the narrative of the entire Bible, despite it being written by 40, over 40 different authors and over a lifespan of 1,500 years. You know, this, this, just, this book is just so rich in detail, and yet it has such a simple message of salvation to all mankind, to you, me. Wow. Oh, and just this morning, I found out, so I knew Charlie had written the book before, but I had no idea that Charlie actually speaks about this very topic in the book in quite a detail. So it's so cool. I just found out this morning, the mark of a Christian. And right here, I put it all slide. Look at that. Actually speaks about it. Tough. That's very cool. Yeah. The mark of a Christian. So now, if you already know or knew this mystery from Ezekiel, that is awesome. But I'm ready to put my bets that you don't know the next one I'm going to show you. Ecclesiastes 3, 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Have you heard anyone quote that before? Right? So these are very famous words. A time for every season, everything. So, but yeah, but how many people have said, hmm, let me look at the pictographic meaning of the ancient Hebrew letters in this verse. I know I haven't, <laughs> but my better half, Rhoda, did. Yeah, yeah, she checks the pictograph for everything. It's so incredible. We find so many things this way. And what she found was absolutely marvelous. The Hebrew word used for time in this verse and the rest of the verses of this chapter is et. And like you've already guessed, it is not a regular word. The regular word or the usual word for time is zman. And it was already used in the same book in the previous chapters. So why switch to a different word? I just continue using the regular usual word for time. Could the answer be in the ancient Hebrew? Let's take a look at the pictographs. The Tav letter, we already know it. It looks like a cross. But the other letter is Ein. I can't even pronounce it well, Rodo does, it's the from the throat, Ein. And it looks like this. It is an I, and it means to look, to see, to gaze upon. That's its meaning. Now combine these two letters together and you get, look at the cross. Just like Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So when you see the word time in the rest of the chapter 3 in Ecclesiastes, think about Jesus. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. This is exactly what Jesus has done. He was born, he died on the cross. A time to plant, Isaiah 53 says, he was a tender plant, a root out of the dry ground. Plucked. <coughs> Isn't that incredible? Wow, and here's another usage of this word. Psalm 105, 19. 
He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The commandments of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. Now this psalm speaks about Joseph being tested before he was redeemed. And here the word time in Hebrew also appears as et. Now let's read this verse again, but this time consider the cross. Until the eye sees the cross, that his word came to pass, the commandments of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, let him go free. Now does that remind you of anybody? Yeah. You know, there are only 64 appearances of this word et. Just the number itself is interesting. We're not going to go into that. It could be another sermon about 64 appearances of this word looking at the cross. And if you go through each and one of those appearances of this particular at the looking at the cross, you'll find marvelous things. We don't have time to do that today. I'm just giving you a little bites of it. But what I do have is one more hidden treasure to reveal to you today. Now, does anyone remember John 14:6 by heart? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I bet all of you remember these words, but there is more to them than meets the eye. And we're going to take a look just at that. Now, let's re reach out to our toolbox one more time. And the tool of choice? Ancient Hebrew alphabet. That's right. But this time we're going to go to the drawing board. Great. So what you see on the board right now is quite different from what you've seen on the screen just a few minutes ago. And why is it different? This is the late Hebrew. And a lot of it is from Aramaic. Now, to understand how we got from the ancient Hebrew to this script, just go to ancient-hebrew.org and they show you the exact evolution of the Hebrew language, of Hebrew script. And I'm just giving you an example of how we got from a cross to this weird looking letter. Take a look. So we got a cross. All right. This was the ancient Hebrew. And then it started to slant a little bit to the right. This is the Phoenician, you know, uh, 500 years later, they were playing around with it. And then it, you know, you kind of remove this a little bit and just a little bit and you got this, then you start kind of twisting them a little bit and then you get to this and now you got this. So yeah, it's just, you know, a thousand years of evolution and you get to this script. And of course, this is Aramaic while this is our ancient Hebrew. And um, what's interesting is that Aramaic also derives from the ancient Hebrew. And what about, same like Latin or Greek. Think of this, this is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Tav. But the sound is t, t. How does our T look like? Almost the same, except without that little thing at the top. So you see the evolution. And there is so much more. Our numbers of today. The numbers of today also come from the ancient Hebrew language. Like look at Aleph. Oh, the, it was used to be like this, right? The bull's head like this. Yeah. And it kept on changing like this a little bit and like that. They kept on doing this until it straightened out like this. And then by a certain time, they had it like this in the Phoenician um, Middle Hebrew, the same one they used in the uh, uh, the Siloam inscription they found in Jerusalem. One of our episodes we show that the inscription had the uh, Middle Hebrew. Very interesting. And then this, if you look, 
became number one. That's actual number one. Uh -huh. Well, if you put it here, move it a little bit. So you can actually see the how the numbers came about to be from the ancient Hebrew. It's a cool study, but not for today. I just wanted to understand this is the Aramaic script of about a thousand years after the ancient. And why am I choosing this? Well, two reasons. First, because we got two a uh, couple extra letters here after the uh, ancient Hebrew that were added, like nun and nun sufit, pay and pay sufit. So these are the same sound, p and p, but the difference is that you write this in the middle of a letter, uh, of a word, and this you write in the end of the word. So you got, so we got 27 instead of the 22 regular ones. That's one reason. The second reason, because this is the language that I grew up speaking and writing. This is the, today in, in Israel, that's the character we are using, the characters like these, which are dating all the way back to the 12th century when they were invented in Aramaic. So these are the characters we use today. We have them slightly more cursive, but so it's easy for me to use this. So let's get started. The truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Now, even though the New Testament is written in Greek, Jesus did speak Aramaic and Hebrew. So we're going to focus on Hebrew. How do you say truth in Hebrew? Emet. Emet. Do you speak Hebrew? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to write this down. Emet. <laughs> three letters. Emet. Truth is only three letters. Now the Aleph, this is the Aleph that we spoke about. This is the... You know, the ox head that I showed you, the ox head, it went, went well, it is like this. And the taf, we know it, in ancient Hebrew, it's a cross. So already we're seeing something interesting form here. The first letter of truth is El, which is God. The last letter is a cross. We're already saying here, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. What could the middle one be? But before we even get there, take a look. The Aleph is the first, right? Taf is the last and the Alpha and the Omega. But what about this, this mem? It, the letter is mem, it's an M, M. Where is it? Can you see it? Can you find it? Yes. In the middle. Yeah. Somebody said, okay, there it is. There is an, okay, let's, hold on. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 14. It's a perfect middle, not just the middle. It is right here. We got truth is perfectly symmetrical. Coincidence? Hold on, let's let's keep on examining. What does it look like in the ancient Hebrew now, the mem? Well, I'll just draw it for you, you can look it up. What does that look like? Yeah. A what? An M, yes. What else? If you look at the pictograph, what does it look like? It looks like something I was surfing on. Am I surfing on? A wave? A wave. Very close, very close to a wave. This is a pictograph of water. And the meaning of it? Look at the meaning of it. Blood. Oh my gosh. So we got truth, El, God, blood, cross. And it's perfect symmetry. Now consider this Jesus Christ, a sacrifice. So the focus in the center, the very center, the mem is in the center of the word truth. It is the blood. The focus is on the blood of who? Christ. And Christ is who? God. Unbelievable, the truth, not what is truth, who is truth. Jesus Christ, God, I am the truth and the way. It's mind-blowing, but, you know, and if somebody thinks it's a coincidence, let's keep going. It doesn't end here. Okay, so how do you say king in Hebrew? Melech. Melech. Okay, that's different, but Melech is the one we're going to go with. Melech is king. Melechim, kings, Melech. Now, I'm going to write it right here. Man. 
Lamed, L, and B. <laughs> so, Melech. <laughs> All right, Melech. Now, let's find those letters. Ma'am, we already know it's right here. Where is this one? Next to it, right here. And where is this one? Next to it. Well, see, you don't even know Hebrew to find this. Melech starts from the very center. We said this is 14, right? I'm going to write right here, 14. Starts at the center of 14, and it's in sequence to the central letter. It's also in the center, and it's it's right here. Okay, that's interesting. So we know king, melech, I'll just write it, king, king, is in the center right there. Now, let's keep going this. Who is a famous king that we know? Saul. Joash. Joash? <laughs> okay, Ahab. that's great. Ahab? No, not that famous. David. David. Okay, that's good. That's some Solomon, David. Now, let's read this about David. This is from Matthew 1 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Take a look at this. So, it starts with this The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's Matthew 1 1. Then it's actually, you know, the entire genealogy is written in the sections of 14, and he ends like this. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So, Abraham, David, Jesus. David is right there in the center. He's the anchor of these 14 generations. And we already know that Mem, the king, starts on 14. So like, oh, is there something here, 14? There are 14 generations. Maybe until we check the next thing. So let's do David. David in Hebrew is David. David. That's right. Yeah, I think Rhoda speaks Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> David. I'm gonna write it. David. So Dalid Vav Dalid. There's three letters. Now let's find an alphabet here. So where is the Dalit? Four. Four. Okay, so there it is. Four. So let's what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna write down the numerical value for each of those letters. So Dalit is right here. One, two, three, four. So we got David is four, dot it. Six, that's right. One, two, three, four, five, six, six, and four again. Can anybody do math? 27. 14. King, 14 starts at 14. David is, America Valley is 14. Unbelievable. David is the uh, the anchor of this 14 generation ancestry to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the greater David, king in the center. It's just unbelievable. Now, now tell me, is this another coincidence or does God have a perfect plan written in this perfect word? Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, that is God's truth. Incredible. So I'd like to finish with Proverbs 25 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search it out. Now, in the original Hebrew, this proverb is even more significant. It goes like this. Kvod Elohim haster davar ve'kvod mlechim chkor davar. A word-to-word -word translation from Hebrew renders it like that. It is the glory of God to conceal the word 
and it is the glory of kings to investigate the word. Davar is word, God's word. Today I've shared with you just a few treasures that can be found with just one tool, the ancient Hebrew alphabet. But there are so many other tools out there. You know, poetry, symbolisms, prophecies, numbers, acrostics, chiasms. The Bible is full of treasures. And it is our privilege to search them out. If there is any chance that you do not know Jesus yet, or have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that you do not know this truth, this perfect truth, then today is the day. Don't wait for tomorrow because it might never come. You know, God who is in heaven, who, who wrote a perfect God, who wrote this perfect word, he loves us so much that while we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us, his only begotten son. Now, that son is Jesus Christ and he had never done anything wrong. He died for our sins, for my sins, for your sins. He did not deserve to be there. He went like a lamb to a slaughter. And that is why death could not hold him. He rose on the third day. And the Bible tells us that everyone who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior will be saved. It's that simple. And after accepting Jesus into my heart, then what? You know, build a house or go to work, make a few friends, retire and die. But the Holy Spirit compels us to do something more with our lives. To find out what God wants from our Christian life. Starts right here. Pick up the Bible. Start reading and don't stop. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, wow, your word is so wonderful. Its majesty and glory is infinite. Its wisdom, your wisdom. God, you've given us a privilege to have access to your word. All the tools out there, Lord, uh, Please give us the courage to share it, to speak it out to all those who are around us, Lord, to the person who is at my work who needs to hear about you, Lord, to speak it out and live it out. Um, God, prepare our hearts for the communion that we're about to take. Bless this week, Lord, everyone who is watching, everyone who is here. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.